0: Hi, my name is Andrew Pontius, and I'm Wolf French. and this is Edge Cases, a podcast about often Apple-related software development and assorted other topics. This is episode five. We're recording on Friday, June 15th, 2012, and today's topic is... Third what's party topic? Oh, third... <laughs> part- <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> Third-party libraries. That sounds like a great topic. Yeah, we didn't quite get things uh, uh, synchronized enough for that. Well, we'll try to do a little better. Um, so this is the last day of WWDC, pretty much over with for the week, except for the drinking, um, which quite a bit of drinking went on this week, um, and a lot of other things. Uh, so, and a lot of things have been uh, mentioned there, but in fact, we're going to go on with our own topic today. So, uh, so I don't know is anything else you want to talk about before we get started.
1: Oh, I mean, there is uh, basically, I mean, it wasn't just, just too much developer topics that we can talk about yet, but I think the probably the most interesting thing from DubDub Dub that we can't talk about right now is the uh, retina displays and software support of that on the Mac.
0: Right, right. Have you actually heard about people um, getting their apps ready for that well, already?
1: I, I know that. I, I've i heard a bunch of people already place their orders, and, right. mm-hmm. and I was basically ready to hit the buy button myself, so... I could, you know, test my software programs against it. But then I realize I don't know the extent of the software I need to test, and it's quite possible one of my buddies is going to buy a machine too. So, <laughs> so I just can use them, use their machine for the hour that I need to actually test the software, and maybe do one iteration on it or something. So I'm, I'm going to see what, what if my any of my friends buy a new machine first before <laughs> I, I put it in the cash.
0: Sure, sure. Well, I think there's there's going to be things that are good. Uh, steps to take in the abstract uh, that you could probably do without even necessarily having a machine to test on, because you know you are going to need to do them. Um, but uh, you know, like, like getting getting artwork that's you know the the, the blowed up size, four times the size.
1: Sure, but I, you know, and part of me thinks I will have to get a Retina display probably sooner rather than later. Just because I think it's probably hard to figure out what artwork looks great on a Retina display that isn't a Retina display.
0: Right, that's true. Uh, maybe you could look at it uh, on an iPad.
1: You know, I actually considered that very deeply. I figured, oh, let's get an <laughs> iPad three, and then like VNC it over. But I realized the the pixels will be brought over, and I like I'm pretty sure what will happen is that the Mac will recognize the fact that that's a non Retina built-in display. And we'll just pump, you know, 72 DPI or whatever, you know, 96 DPI, whatever the current DPI is, and not the full retina dis, uh, DPI. So basically you would need to fool full, full the Mac. if You think it has a retina display attached. So it would vend the mo- correct amount of pixels that then you could push that over VNC. And I, I think that's the probably, at this point, is it's probably this, uh, easier to buy a retina display directly. Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: Well, I was actually thinking you could just, I mean, if you just want to look at the artwork, you could make yourself a, an iOS, <clears throat> excuse me, an iOS application and just put that artwork in it. But even then you're, you''re it's not quite the same screen, right because right. the iPad is meant to be looked at from a certain distance, and the retina display on your uh, on your laptop is meant to be looked at at another distance again won't won 't quite match, I think you're probably right yeah, yeah. thats
1: yeah, I follow along those same lines too you us know, push the pixel file i mean the icon file over and then you could preview it nice and easy but yeah it's it's also d- different use cases Mm-hmm. okay so um the main thing about <clears throat> kind of the retina display is that it's interesting. Um, so we we have um, double the amount of pixels horizontally and vertically, so four X altogether. And so the software subsystem is actually kind of interesting because and you have this two X display, but then you have um, artwork that uh, on these uh, apps that haven't been up- updated, which is currently most of them. And probably this is you know this, this is the the peak of non retina apps. Um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, um, right. going forward, there'll be more retina apps out there. I know that um, some guys were already bragging they had uh, retina artwork in their Mac apps ready to go. I think uh, Coda Two has retina graphics. Yep. And so it's and so if you have like you know the, a, uh, a Cocoa app that doesn't have any retina a- assets in it, and it's sitting there, so I guess it's uh, every pixel becomes four pixels, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. And, but if you have RedNet graphics, then you can actually, uh, have it down to where a pixel is a pixel. And, uh, actually, I guess it, it, you know, you get the 2x assets and you just kind of scale those into the right position. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I also heard that, um, you know, the, obviously on the web, graphics aren't going to be RedNet display for a very long time and probably, and probably won't be for a very long time. And, and so apparently next to the very crisp text that gets to be rendered directly is these graphics are going to look pretty not good for a long time. So I I've heard some people say that web browsing actually will look worse in in the foreseeable future. But um I don't know. I think maybe this the rendering might might help. What it strikes
0: me that if Apple knew that was going to be a huge problem, uh that they would be more likely to do something about it in some way or I don't know exactly, but it's interesting that I did hear the same sorts of things from from people, and I think Marco and Syracuse were ones who mentioned it, possibly one getting it from the other. But I haven't actually heard that many people talk about what it actually looks like yet. And I think if if people using the units at WWC, the the, uh, the units that you get, the review units, uh, if if they had seen that, I think they might have said something. So. I suspect it's not as bad as people were worried about, but we'll see. Good point.
1: Um, the other thing that I want to mention is that um, I, I retweeted it. I don't have the tweet at hand, but <clears throat> there's this concept. Of, I don't – so um, there's this continuous continuing problem with uh, subpixel anti-aliasing with text and things like OpenGL and core animation. And <clears throat> so the basic idea is that if you know the how the pixels are – uh, arranged on on the display in terms of the the red green blue components themselves, that you can basically cheat and and set things to inc- you know seemingly incorrect colors, but human perception will actually uh, kind of tie everything together and you get you know effectively higher resolution display at least along the horizontal axis with the mm-hmm. subpixel anti aliasing.
0: Right.
1: And um, the problem with subpixel anti aliasing is in the modern kind of. Um, core animation open gl world is that you want to be able to kind of render into these pixel buffers that are exist on a graphics card and then and then um send them and then say okay i want to composite all these together with varying levels of alpha or whatever and you don't necessarily know when you're rendering to your buffer you don't know where it's going to wind up on the screen and where i mean where exactly it's going to wind up on the screen so you don't get the, it's, it's, it turns out to be more difficult to uh, pull off the sub-pixel anti-aliasing. You still can anti-alias but the sub actually requires you know exactly where that pixel is falling on the screen and you don't have that when you're if you're just doing things that kind of the naive um, pixel buffer kind of way.
0: Right, you, you have an intermediate layer. Yeah.
1: yeah, And so, this, so um, I know some of the Apps that, Core Animation apps. uh, The early ones had, you know, it was very visible. I think uh, Twitterific uh, had this uh, knock against it when they had the new version out. That uh, the text, I mean, you you look at text in TextEdit and you look at the text in, um, and Twitterific, and it was very visible. Like the same font would look very different when it was rendered for subpixel in TextEdit versus the anti-alias in, uh, in Twitterific. And Turns out there are tricks that you can you can set some flags into your uh, CG context, and uh, I presume that ends up like figuring out where things will actually land on the display itself. So things have gone, definitely gotten better, but it always seems kind of a kludgy workaround to actually make this all work, and it's quite possible that with red displays, maybe subpixel anti-aliasing thus gets to die, which would actually be... Uh, really handy in terms of we don't, we don't have to worry about the subpixel so anti-aliasing kludge anymore we just have the resolution we don't have to fake it anymore yeah, yeah that'd be good yeah. but anyway so that's uh, I just want to talk about like the mechanics of retina display kind of thing but that's not our main topic uh, instead I want uh, to no. talk oh, but, is it,
0: but interesting certainly yeah, no, I, I think it's good that we were able to cover it yeah
1: but the main thing I want to talk about tonight is um, the third party libraries and in the uh, Apple development environment so, the, so, um, and if you look at like other development environments, um, in, uh, the Ruby community, there's things like gems. And there's, obviously, th- these are highly popular. As a matter of fact, that what we're using for our, our website, our static renderer, is a program called Jekyll that you install via, you know, sudo gem install Jekyll. And it's a static site renderer.
0: Shh, implementation Shh. details. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and of course, then you know Python has its eggs. So I don't know, I don't really keep up on, on Python side. I don't know if eggs are the hotness still or whatever. But Node has its uh, n- the Node package manager, and and um, I, of course there's CPAN, the Comprehensive Perl Archive Network, which is kind of the granddaddy of them. And so like there's a lot of this kind of like code sharing that that is tied up with these different development environments. And unfortunately, like what we have. Uh, as an Apple developer, is that previously you just have GitHub, and don't get me wrong, GitHub is great, and it's uh, pretty highly discoverable, and it's. Um, but in terms of being able to say, I want to use this package, um, if I have some sort of like logging package, I want to use it inside my Cocoa app. What that entails is that I have to go to the GitHub page, figure out w- w- uh, which of the forks I want to use. But that's more of a kind of a Git GitHub issue than a specific package issue and I download it, and maybe I just put like the, the zip archive contents into my my uh, Git repository, or maybe I just, my local Git repository, or maybe I do a sub-mo- Git submodule, or maybe I could do a Git subtree, but anyway, somehow I have to get that code into my local repository, and then I need to somehow hook it up and use it and tell X, my Xcode that, hey, I want to use this chunk of code. And this doesn't sound like a, maybe a, a big deal in small case, but if you want to use kind of like a fine grained component, software component type of idea where you have these small little libraries that maybe this include one header file, or maybe this one header file, um, or this one header file, one source file, all that kind of fine grained, if you start racking up uh, 10 or 20, 20, 30 of these, uh, this becomes uh, a big deal. And if you look at, like uh, when we install Jekyll, you can see like it includes like ten other things that ends up including a bunch of other things. And but these uh, kind of on the Ruby side things they tend to be more fine grained because their their software uh, third party library system kind of supports that. And we have totally lack of support for that uh, from Apple for uh, our developer community, which um, it's kind of bad. It's it definitely stunts the idea of third party libraries. And I, and so it's a, it's a question of like, why don't we have a, a good third-party plugin library infrastructure type thing? And so there's the, you know, if you look at like Apple's installer technology,
0: it's we oh, a- don't actually actually if you could hold on a second because sure. it's interesting because i where I'm coming from I, uh, I see what you're saying but since I haven't used a lot of these other languages which have better systems. I kind of don't know what I'm missing, so I'd actually be interested if you could go into a little more detail about you know what what it is missing. Like, what about those other things? So you're saying that those other systems don't require you to just copy over code files. They have a more sophisticated system than that. Could you explain that?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, usually these uh, these other systems kind of tend to boil down to there's a central repository of open source code and it's not just like this um you know kind of shared directory type approach but they tend to have like kind of manifest or or metadata type information that explains this is the, end of the package this is the current version number these are all the previous version numbers and this is what the package do and this is the other packages it depends on and stuff like that so you see this replicated in um in gems and and uh actually the node package manager is actually pretty rocking so that so definitely see it replicated there yeah, so you have the centralized place that developers can um, easily push to and then every, uh, other developers can uh, pull from.
0: So so when there's a new version, let's say I use a, a particular gem. Uh, so when I do something with just source code files, I don't even necessarily know when a new version comes available because I'm just using those files directly. Right. You're saying with gems... Uh, Will it update itself
1: automatically? Do I have to go out and say, "Okay, now I want you to update"? Or how does does that work? It's more the latter. That um, I often thought of like Sparkle for command line tools, but um, that's there's no technical reason that can't be done. It's just um, we we don't have a real good package management system for the Mac like let's say Debian has (laughs) or Ubuntu has. So so um, that's probably not such a great idea. But yeah, it's pretty much um, you you type. Um, <clears throat> like, for example, in Homebrew, which is kind of um, – it's more focused on the tools than the code itself, but you'll type in, like, brew update, and that will pull down all the formula for all the various tools, throw out the ones that people have gotten rid of, and add ones that have been uh, added since you've last updated, and update to the latest versions of the things that need to be updated. And then uh, you can just type brew upgrade if you actually want to go and fetch all the latest of all the formula.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So let's see where where was I? Oh yeah. <clears throat> so the the so the question is like uh, I mean if you know about like Apple's installer technology, it's really it's, it's amazingly bad. It's just it's it's been such a train wreck for so long, and in some ways you you look at Apple's installer technology and you, and you kind of hope that they wouldn't actually. <laughs> try to have a reasonable de- uh, a dependency management system or a, a software distribution uh, mechanism because it's it's i just can 't it 's almost as bad as you can imagine
0: <laughs> well it 's like like you don 't want them to come up with the ping of installer technologies right <laughs> yeah
1: right right that 's a good point so i I almost think like Apple can't do like software installation technology. Like it has a real problem with doing web, web ser- websites and web services. It's like it's there's something like lacking in its DNA that seems to have real problems with that. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, of course, so the kind of cynical response to like why we don't have a good third party library infrastructure system is that Apple does not actually want to support a third party library system. In fact, it kind of would hope that this doesn't happen at all. And I kind of got a strong whiff of this when, um, so I have this package called MoGenerator, Generator, and I've been revving it for a while now, and we'll probably end up doing an episode on it, eventually. Right. But uh, and it, and, n- and I use it. I use it where I work. So oh, thumbs up. There you go. And uh, needless, you know, suffice to say that what MoGenerator Generator does is that it takes your code core data model and it generates object to C code, and so it's a fundamentally code generator. And I forget. Um the guy on Twitter who mentioned it, but he was advising people not to use it, and the reason was because uh co- because it is generating code that adds uh, specifically if you in order to instantiate an NS, manage, uh, a man, NS ob- manage object is a little bit of a runaround type thing because you need to get it, you have to say talk to n s entity description and pass in the uh, the name of the class and then uh, manage object context it 's like you have the classes, you know, you have my class, and you think you just could say, you know, give me one of these. Instead, you have to talk to this other class to give you this, you the class you're actually interested in. And I always right. viewed that as kind of a runaround kind of thing. So one of the messages that MoGenerate will generate for you is new and manage object context. And it just right. wraps mm-hmm. that NS entity description, you know, a uh, little call, uh, a method there. And this guy said, well, you know, that's, that's basically a new API, and that's, you know, a layer on top of what Apple has provided, and you shouldn't use it for that reason.
0: Oh, that's, that's BS. I mean, everybody makes their own APIs to simplify system functionality. And if you, if you don't do that, it's almost dereliction of duty not to do that in your own projects because otherwise you're cutting and pasting all this boilerplate that may change even.
1: Sure, and I, I viewed that as more kind of an insight into the way of thinking than a legitimate complaint. So, was this an Apple engineer saying that? This was not an oh. Apple engineer. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the so, but it's kind of like this idea that Apple has come down from the top and has given you these APIs, and if you're using third-party APIs, well, that's a layer on top of the, the magical purity that we've given you, and that's a really <laughs> bad idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> layer on the magical purity. That that's yeah. <laughs>
1: title, title uh, <laughs> potential right there. So that, so that's so the kind of the, the cynical take on why we've been lacking uh, a real good uh, way for Apple developers to share code is that this is actually not what Apple wants and, is, and maybe it's not in Apple's interest, that they would prefer that to use their APIs directly. And if you've got to write your own li- layer on top of it, well, that's a layer for you and you should keep it private. And they will provide everything you could possibly want.
0: Well, so you're actually it, you're going a little further than that, right? Where it's not just Apple saying that; it's that it's that third-party developers have internalized what they think Apple wants.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't say you say they internalize what Apple wants. Well, yeah, I mean,
0: so you're saying that this is what Apple wants. Mm-hmm. But what you just said was that another developer, who wasn't it didn't even work for Apple, was right. saying, "Well, do it the way Apple wants." Well, then you've you know you're kind of saying, "Well, we're going to follow Apple's lead, sure. even though we're not Apple." Right. But anyway, right. go on. Go on.
1: Yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Of course, the less cynical take on this is this, you know, especially maybe Apple with their installer technology, they know their own weaknesses. I mean, software dependency in general is is an unsolved issue that um, there's a reason why we have like package management system for tools and apps, and we have different package management systems for code. And really, you think like one would scale into the other, but we haven't figured that out yet. So it's a a huge, hairy issue that hasn't been solved, and definitely has barely been solved in terms of just one language, let alone across, across languages, across different operating systems. So it's a huge mess. And so, and Apple has shown itself, uh, nearly able to even get its own operating system house in order for these uh, kind of dependency management type packages systems. So I don't want to put any faith in them. So maybe they recognize their weakness there and they don't even want to put their toe in the pond. Um, but, but maybe they also, you know, they just don't have the manpower and they're, you know, spending their engineering cycles on Clang and other things that, you know, advancing the language, advancing Xcode. Um, you know, advancing the operating system. And they still want to spend the engineers on it because they don't view it as a real problem. So, you know, probably there's a spectrum here and um, probably the answer lies somewhere in between.
0: Well, I I do think that, I mean, Apple is extremely conservative about, say, putting out new APIs. Sure. And I think that that feels like, it's not quite the same thing, but it feels like something similar in that they're trying to really... The, the surface they present to us that we can um kind of latch onto. I'm kind of thinking a cell analogy, right? <laughs> that yeah, we're kind yeah. of the bacteria and they're the <laughs> cell. That's not a really great analogy, but, oh, but there sure you
1: go. A lot of people in Apple think that. <laughs> but you know they
0: <laughs> so they you know they want to present the, the very least amount of surface area that can get that can get screwed up that other people can start relying on. And in, in all cases. And that means you know, giving you fewer ways to, to, to use their stuff. And I think that might also have to do, you know, if you, if, if they gave us a, a way to manage dependencies, that would be a fairly heavyweight set of APIs or a set of tools or whatever. And, uh, and that would mean that they would have to support that from now on.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think, um, that a lot, I think, um, uh, Maybe even most Apple developers don't understand that, uh, this, this restriction that Apple does want to totally minimize surface area between what they write and what you write. And, the, on, and often they'll actually go too far with this. A uh, great examples and a sort descriptor. Of <laughs> like, what is it? I think it was an, uh, release in 10.4 or something. And you had the, uh, init with, uh, init with something where you have the key and you have whether it's sorting as uh, whether it's ascending or descending. But they wouldn't give you the convenience method of, you know, NS sort descriptor, sort descriptor with, you know, blah. And instead you had to do the alloc init and and the, of course, back then also the auto-release. And that was also the one where you tend to want to put that into an NS array. And so it ended up being like, this was one of the things that was great to trot out. Like, this is how you sort something in Ruby. And it's, you know, this short little thing. And this is how you sort things in in uh, Coco. And it was like these n- horrendous nesting of brackets because it's like ns array, array with object. right <laughs> Open, 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 you know, left brace, <laughs> left brace. <laughs> right, and, and it sort descriptor. W- and because, like, the method name didn't have multiple colons in it, it would even wrap very nicely. Like, uh, I think uh, Will Shipley called the kind of the lining up colons as kind of, like, make your code like look like a haiku kind of. It was meant as a backhand compliment, or Actually, probably this. <laughs> That's an insult. But I really like the aligning and colons. I think it adds um, readability, especially if you tend to use uh, less wide windows. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it was horrendous, and all because they didn't want to give you that one additional class method. Right. Right? right, one more API, right, sure. And so so what happened is, like, the first category that everyone would write is their own version of an assortis, you know, a sort descriptor with blah, blah, blah. And of course, then it ended up being conflicting in the next version of Mac OS Ten because they finally gave it to us so that's that's one example of when apple's like goes too far in terms of trying to minimize that surface area and ends up just creating a mess
0: one when, one more thing for me is you know it 's not just that there was you know Apple on one side and and every other developer on the other side you know there there are personalities involved in all of this stuff as well, so you know keeping the right keeping the same vision. Uh, of of where you are now and where you're going, it can be it can you know and it, Apple's a huge company so there's mm-hmm. lots of different members of different teams that that may say well no we, yes we are going to do this no we are going to do that and there's only so much you can you can make all of that completely uniform too so so it's also just a personal friction I think I think too that yeah, it's just very hard to make everything right for everyone when people think differently and this many people are involved.
1: Sure, I mean Apple encourages you know viewing Apple as the kind of monolith, and um to that you know uh and uh, even though I know very much opposite, I also fall into that way, of thinking oh, almost by habit just the way they present themselves, and so yeah it's um i mean that's one of the great things about dub dub is to uh, meet up with the engineers behind the monolith so you actually can you know, ask them the detailed question about, okay, why is this thing the way it is? Yeah, and you can actually, yeah. actually directly respond instead of having to not respond at all.
0: Right. You know, that was where I was going with that. So yeah, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And one thing I should mention since I'm talking about uh, third-party libraries in terms of Apple development, there are efforts to fix this outside of Apple. Uh, I, know that, I know of at least one of them. I, I think there's two competitors, but the one that came to my mind right now is CocoaPods, and it's a GitHub project. And I know uh, they've been working on uh, basically how it works. Is that I think it's a gem. I'm not sure even what, what the underlying technology is, but it actually will. It hooks into some sort of shared database that people can upload to, and actually it uh, contains code that can rewrite your Xcode project file, so you can somehow invoke the CocoaPods and say, "Hey, I want to install, you know, uh, this new logging package." And it will actually download the code, rewrite your project file, or maybe it's a workspacing, I don't know. But it will somehow rewrite your Xcode data to include it, and then you're good to go, supposedly. Um, I know it has uh, a few issues, at least it did last time I looked at it, in terms of um, how it integrated things. and, And it's a complicated issue, obviously. So, but I wanted to put that name out there so that uh, folks can look it up and decide if it's right for them, and maybe if I can think of it, uh, think of their competitors as well.
0: Yeah, sure, I'll, I will go in the show notes. Okay,
1: and um, that's pretty much it. I would, I would also like to say that you know Debian, as I mentioned it before, but their their app package is um, a package management system is. Uh, Really kind of the model. I know that uh, Cydia, which is the uh, jailbreaking broken jailbroken iPhone. Oh, now I guess iOS um, packet uh, system installer will actually use uses the the Debian uh, package management system. And so that seems to be kind of like the standard bearer for real world deployed dependency management kind of package management things. Um, although I will say that I don't know if if a Debian system does this, but I know that nodes. Package manager, you can actually have um, incompatible versions of modules that you depend on and have them be simultaneously installed. And uh, so, if I if my package depends on 1.0 of your package, and then uh, 2.x comes out, and all my other modules require the new 2.x but I'm I incompatible will never be upgraded. Uh, NPM will actually support that. And we'll give you a coherent environment there where everyone's talking to the one version that they want to talk to. So it's, um, So that's mm-hmm. uh, obviously, that's a really tricky problem too, but they seem to have mostly solved it. So this thing is not, you know it's, it's, I would say it's rocket science, but it's been solved rocket science. So um, I would definitely like to see like the Apple developer community kind of catch up with this. But I don't know if we can do a full-on correct job without Apple support. And I actually, I'm, with Apple's installer technology, I'm actually scared if Apple actually, you know, actually starts defining the rules. So I, uh, so I don't know if there's a win here.
0: Right. Well, certainly the uh, this, the case that you mentioned, you know, the ability to keep two uh, incompatible versions available to the right clients at the same time. I mean, it does sound it does seem a bit like magic to me because there aren't any systems that I know about that I use every day that can do that. And so, if that exists, you know that would be great.
1: Yep. Okay. That's so, I, and that, it, yeah, that pretty much wraps up for my topic. Okay.
0: Well, let's see the,
1: and the, I think this
0: comes down to a lot of the the theme, like kind of if if we can say, you know, sort of the, the Wolfrench theme as it goes forward, <laughs> is is a lot of when you you know you talk about how that there are other technologies out there that, that Mac developers are are not don't have access to, you know, this is, again, this is pretty much the same pattern that, uh, that, that by being very much inside the, <laughs> use another metaphor inside the veal pen and, you know, never coming out of it. You don't even know that these exist. And, you know, I'll admit that I'm, I'm a bit like that as well. Uh, now certainly Apple in the past has acquired good technology. Like I'm thinking the, uh, what was the thing where you went from, uh, that it, it would find the, like the, the file type from the extension, what was the thing or it would it, – uh, something to take internet files and turn them into sort of Mac files that had the right HFS thing in oh, them? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. I, know. I remember that. That was uh, like the old classic te- technology thing, right? Right. Yeah. Right.
0: So you know, you do have to go back quite a ways in order to get examples of that maybe. But it was a case where, okay, this is a good technology. Someone else, third party did it. Now we're going to integrate it into the OS and they did that right um i do think it's it's probably true that this would be better inside of apple i mean if but if someone were to say well okay we've got they've done this really good job really smart about it that apple really could take it and just use it as is they wouldn't they wouldn't actually have to do any more design work they wouldn't have to uh (laughs) they wouldn't get it screwed up you know that might be the ideal if you could do that so you know that would uh favor that would that would make it something that maybe everyone should look into, you know, if we can contribute to this pods or help out with one of these efforts to make it really great, that may be the, the way to go that, you know, when you say getting acquired by Apple, uh, you know, not necessarily to become rich or anything, but, but really just the way to make the way to make things happen. Like there's a lot of stuff like this. Well, what was the other thing? One of the things that Syracuse mentioned recently was that someone was trying to bring, bring ZFS over to the Mac
1: right, as a compliment. Th-
0: uh huh as a third party plugin and you know Syracuse was was he he wanted to cheer them on but realistically the chances of a third party plugin being something that enough people uh, adopt that they could really make a go of it or that would have enough uh insight into changes in the operating system to really be able to keep up and be something that would be as rock solid as it needs to be uh, the chances of that are are not great unfortunately and i think the same thing is true with the package management but but if you again if you take if you graft get you know, more analogies you know if you graft the, the the new skin on then maybe it can it can come to life uh, even if yeah, even if it wouldn't have been able to thrive on a own.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The oh, uh, I so I I remember the name of the thing you were talking about. That's Internet Config. Right. Yeah. So that was the old style technology of, uh, had the problem where we have the, Macs have the foul and critter tape type and the rest of the world had extensions. Of course, now we have extensions, but (laughs) we, uh, (laughs) which is another, probably another podcast, although that, that battle's (laughs) so old, I don't know. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so Interject Config was Mm -hmm. this mapping, uh, third party development effort and, uh, eventually they, uh, hired Quinn and Quinn Eskimo and I don't know if that's what was the, the, uh, the bringing into config into system proper or that happened before or, or after or whatever but yeah, yeah so um, to this day um, there's this um, uh, the guys at Ruby code have this uh, system pref pane called default apps and it will list uh, you know for all these extensions uh, what is you know, what is it mapped onto. And I think that exposes some internet config stuff, although now that I think about it, I think maybe intercaf- internet config is like, if you, it definitely lived on to Mac OS X, and it, I think it was about yep. 10.3 or something that end up, um, that Apple finally replaced it. I think, uh, maybe internet config then was compatibility layer, but, uh, yeah, so now I think it's rocking Apple's, uh, to- uh totally uh, rewritten, poppy coke or at least core foundation-ish implementation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this is still an ongoing problem that you have to map uh, extensions on two MIME types and, um, and UTIs, which is the world's most unfortunate acronym.
0: <laughs> I suppose it is. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, anything else before we wrap up? I know that does it for me. Okay. Well, so if you want to send us some feedback or see the show notes, uh, and there should be – I'll bring together the show notes after this episode – or download other episodes, or sign up for us on iTunes. Uh, Go to your web browser and type in edgecasesshow.com, all one word and cases being uh, plural. And we'll see you next time. Bye.
1: Bye.